Today on Season 3, Episode 15 of the Unknown Packers Podcast, Bryce and I give a warm welcome to the one and only Andy Herman as he steps into the UPP studio. You may know Andy from his work with Packer Report and Packaday Podcast, but today, take some time to get to know him as a Packers fan. Andy puts out a ton of great content, but this week we focus on two of his most recent articles. When could the Packers move on from Aaron Rodgers? What impact could COVID-19 have on the Packers roster? Listen in and find out. And now it's time for Andy Herman on tap. This is Green Bay. Green Bay. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. Touchdown! Dagger! Al Harris, 56 yards to a game-winning touchdown! Green Bay Packers! Go Pack! Go! Winning isn't everything, but it's the only thing. And let me tell you this, Green Bay is a great town. This is Green Bay, Green Bay, Green Bay. And welcome to the Unknown Packers podcast for our latest guest episode, the one, the only, the godfather, Andy Herman is in the building with Andy Herman on tap. Super excited to have him in the virtual studio. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And perfect timing. A lot of buzz as usual with you, um, <laughs> but uh, specifically with uh, a couple of articles that you released. We'll talk about that in the second half of Andy Herman on tap. But first and foremost, the creator of Packaday Podcast and lead writer and editor for Packer Report. Am I leaving anything out? Uh, probably. You know, who knows? I can barely keep track of it. So those are kind of the main <laughs> things. Um you know, the other thing that I, I get to do weekly, which is a ton of fun, is I do a podcast uh, every week with Tony Pauline on Pro Football Network. So that's something that I enjoy doing each week as well. But you, you guys hit the gist of it. I appreciate that. <laughs> and when is that uh, episode released with you and Tony? Yeah, usually it releases every Thursday. Um, yeah, we record every Wednesday night and then Thursday is usually when it drops. Perfect. And then for Pack-A-Day and Packer Report for our listeners, when do you record for Pack-A-Day? I know it's a the first and only uh, daily podcast. But when do you record and release? Yeah, so I release every Monday uh, is the day that I usually go. And then, um, you know, for Packer Report, I usually have an article every Tuesday morning and every Friday morning. Um, And every once in a while, uh, if I got something exciting, I'll throw something out on Saturdays as well. Oh, and you've had a lot of exciting things. And it's (laughs) super exciting and inspiring to see your ascension into uh, what I grew up on, the Packer Report and to have you covering. And I know I threw out uh, some fanboy tweets out there, but I truly do appreciate everything that you do. And uh, it gives us so much insight. And with that, I'm really curious a little bit more about your background as a Packers fan. I've been following you now for the last three years since we've been doing the podcast. And to see where you're at right now is uh, truly inspiring. But knowing that you come from Wisconsin, but I'm more curious, how did you become a Packers fan? Yeah, so I mean, I was, uh, you know, I grew up in Green Bay, I guess I should say. I was technically born in Manitowoc, but uh, I moved to Green Bay about a week later. So I basically say I was born and raised in Green Bay. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I mean, when you kind of live in Green Bay for your entire life, it just, become, you know, kind of becomes the the norm. You don't really have too much of a say in it. But, uh, you know, the moment that really, you know, struck home was, 
Uh, I was at the the Brett Favre game against the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, where he made really kind of his first main appearance uh, through the touchdown in the back end zone to Kittrick Taylor. Nice. And my dad, you know, lifted me up over his head so I could see the touchdown in the back end zone. And that, you know, that's just one of those memories he'll have forever. And then, you know, I was already, even at that age, you know, pretty geeked out about football and collecting football cards and, um, you know, everything like that. And that was just kind of the moment that cemented it that, you know, at that point, I no longer had a choice, basically. So that's that's kind of the 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 long and short of it i can't believe you were at that game and i know that we talked you this is the second time that you've been on the unknown packers podcast but the first time for the guest episodes but you did talk about um i remember uh it's jogging my memory about you talking about that how old were you during that game let's see i think that was 92 so i think i would have been eight uh just about to be nine years old at the time if i same uh, age same age yeah that's a very vivid memory for me too and um, I'd have to say that that's got to be up there for when, like, I can tell, like, when my fandom began with Brett Favre. And as they say, the rest is history. But now I'm curious, uh, your favorite current and your favorite past Green Bay Packers player? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I kind of have, uh, for some reason, I guess I have an affinity for cornerbacks. But if, you know, going back at some of my favorite, you know, Packer players... Uh, you know, Charles Woodson was one of those really cool players where like, it almost took me like a couple of years to kind of pinch myself and be like, Charles Woodson's really a Green Bay Packer. Like, this is insane. <laughs> so Charles Woodson's definitely one of those. I just love that entire defensive backfield from the 2010 Super Bowl team, save for maybe Charlie Pepper. Sorry, Charlie. But, uh, you know, the Sam Shields, the Tremont Williams, uh, you know, Charles Woodson at cornerback and then uh, Nick Collins at safety, like that group to me, it just was so fun to watch. You know, you look at, you know, Tremont going as, you know, basically from an undrafted guy. Um, I know, you know, he wasn't an undrafted free agent for the Packers, but he was undrafted. The Packers end up with him, just has this incredible career. And, you know, people use the term, you know, shut down cornerback all the time. You know, Tremont probably wasn't a shutdown corner in 2010, but he's about as close as you can get in 2010 to being a shutdown corner without ever, anyone ever really noticing just how insanely well he played that year. And then Sam Shields, you know, this was a wide receiver in college the season before, you know, basically, and they transitioned him to corner. And not only does he make the transition, but he plays so well that season. Um, And then we, of course, we all know Charles Woodson and then, you know, Nick Collins as well. You know, that defensive back group was, um, you know, really kind of just my, my, some of my favorite players as Packers. And then the other one that, uh, you know, really struck me as well was just Amon Green. So, you know, growing up, you know, there was definitely a stretch of good running backs, you know, Edgar. Bennett, Dorsey Levins, players like that, but you never had the guy that could be like an 1800 plus yard rusher and just break any, you know, 80 yard run at any given time. They didn't have that explosive playmaking ability of Amon Green. So, you know, growing up as a a Packer fan, you you had good running backs, but never really like a true home run hitting running back. So you, you get Amon Green and he almost rushes for what, 2000 yards the one season has the home run, you know, ability. So to kind of finally have that feeling of like, oh, this is what having a really insanely talented running back feels like. That was uh, definitely another one that stood out to me. As far as current Packers go, it's it's totally a different atmosphere for me now because there's such an analytical side that goes along I know, with it. Yeah. <laughs> but um Jair Alexander is certainly one again, I guess I have an affinity for cornerbacks. I just love the way that he plays the you know, plays the game. And even in practice, anytime Devontae's up, he's the guy that wants to go against Devontae Adams. So he has that mentality. You know, same thing, Devontae Adams, just another player that, you know, I, I've said for a while now, you know, especially when I'm scouting wide receivers, like you can have your height, weight, speed, you can have every 
everything like that. Like wide receiver to me is the position that you find artists because, you know, yeah. and Devontae Adams is a player who's an artist at the position. And you can tell by the fact that Chad Ochocinco uh, cries when he watches him play, <laughs> you know, like those guys just get it. Like what Devontae can do at the line of scrimmage from a release standpoint, that's not normal even for some of the best route runners in the history of football. So um, I just love watching what he does. And, and yeah, those are, those are a couple of the players. I mean, I'm not going to shock anyone by saying, you know, David Bakhtiari is a ton of fun to watch. Aaron Jones right. is great. You know, all those guys, it's, it's a fun team uh, to kind of cover and, and watch at the same time. Uh, why the affinity for cornerbacks? I have no idea. Uh, it's just like one of those, <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I don't necessarily know that it has so much to do with the position as it just is just those players. And, and again, I go back to that Super Bowl team and, um, every single one of those cornerbacks, you know, the three that I mentioned were so fun mm-hmm. to watch. And not only in j- just in that season, but throughout their careers in Green Bay, even Tremont up to this last season. So, right. you know, and you go with Tremont too. I mean, just an awesome uh, person to cover off the field, on the field. Like he's one of the great locker room people. Like, he, yeah, he's he's just a, really, uh, a ton of fun to cover. My favorite player when I was a kid was Leroy Butler. So I know sure. I know what you mean about the defensive backs. There's something about him. Couldn't tell you what it is, but yeah, he was he was always my favorite uh, player when I grew up. So I'm with you. I'm with you there. I think it's a mentality too. Like you know, those guys are going to get beat. You know, how many times in a given game, and you just have to you know live with it and then suck it up and go play the next play again. I just, yeah. I mean, you, you take a look at a guy like Kevin King, who's you know a good corner, right? Like, but he gets so much hate because you know he gets you know beat from from time to time. Well, you, that's mm-hmm. what happens to a normal NFL cornerback. Like, that's that's a normal thing, and I think that's why when you find good ones and they have that special talent, like you, it, I'm just kind of drawn to that. I I love it. My first jersey was uh, Craig Newsom, and sure. uh, so mm-hmm. uh, you know the Sun Devil, and we had Dusty Evely on here, and. Uh, when you talk about Ocho Cinco crying, I almost started crying when Dusty Evely said his favorite pass Green Bay Packer was Craig Newsom, another guy that when you talk about shutdown corner, you know, his name should definitely be in that in that argument that, you know, that 96, 97 Super Bowl. And I'm glad that you mentioned Sam Shields when you talked about undrafted free agent, you know, Tremont Williams, here's Sam Shields as well, another undrafted free agent. And I'm really curious, you know, that rookie year, obviously a lot of things had to go right for that Super Bowl to happen. But he he's that catalyst of a of a guy that they were you know we talk about how rookies typically it takes two or three years like Lafleur said in his presser where he before you know what you have you knew right off the bat what you had in Sam Shields in training camp and then to see what he did and what he did for the Green Bay Packers unfortunately his career cut cut short but uh, I I love the I love the guest questions because then it also it highlights some different memories that I may have, and I have not thought about Sam Shields in quite some time. So thank you for that, Andy. Yeah, you bet. And wrapping up the third and final guest question, I'm really excited to know more about uh, what is your favorite Packers memory? Yeah, so I mean, definitely the one with Kittrick Taylor uh, in yeah. the back of the end zone. <laughs> that, that's definitely going to be 1A. Um, as far as you know, watching on TV, this is going to be you know maybe a really interesting answer, but my favorite, one of my absolute favorite plays as a Packer fan is in that same, you know, 2010 Super Bowl. And it's not any of the plays that most people would normally bring up, not the Nick Collins INT or the Jennings catch at the end or, you know, everything that Jordy did in that game or anything Aaron Rodgers related. Uh, but it was the interception by Jarrett Bush. And, and the reason I say that is because that is the epitome of the 2010 Packers team. Because if you go back, you know, obviously, you know, Ted Thompson having the the goal, if you will, to take Aaron Rodgers when Brett Favre was in town and then having to trade, you know, Brett Favre away 
you know, people hated Rogers to begin with. He got death threats. People forget, you know, mm-hmm. Ted Thompson was, you know, vi- you know, this vile creature to so many people because <laughs> of what he did, you know, at the time, you know, people, so many people, if you remember back, didn't think that Mike McCarthy was a Super Bowl quality coach. They thought he was a fine coach, an okay coach, but never thought that he had it in him to kind of win the big one. So like, even within Packers nation, there was so much of this doubt of the players on the team. And that's uh, epitomized perfectly in a player like Jarrett Bush, where like he was just this, you know, kind of hated player. You know, I think everyone understood and appreciated his special teams ability, but like Mm -hmm. the moment he got on the field, it was like, oh my God, this is just the worst thing in the world. And not only is that the, you know, kind of the epitome of that 2010 team where they kind of overcame all of this angst and pressure and at some points, even hatred from even their own fran- you know, own fans. But it was also this, uh, you know, story of next man up. That team was the most beat up team in the entire history of the world. And here, Charles Woodson goes out in the Super Bowl. They have more injuries at cornerback, and it forces you know Jarrett Bush to play more than you know they probably would have expected. And here he comes up with this interception in the most important game of his life. You know, kind of makes uh, you know makes good for any of the errors that he's made in the past. Helps them win a Super Bowl and helps all of those guys kind of in at one point or another an isle you know an island of misfits, if you will. You know, it, it was just kind of the perfect capper to me for for that team, which was a team that. You know, I really, really believed in. I, I believed in McCarthy. I believed in Thompson. I believed in that entire roster, and I thought that they could do it. I'll be the first to admit I thought they were a year early. I thought it was going to be uh, 2011 when they were probably ready to make their run. But um, you know, they obviously got the job done in 2010, and that Jared Bush moment is just you know so significant because of all of those things kind of combined. Crazy too. Favorite memory, and uh, again, I always try to predict or I try to think like, oh, I wonder what he's going <laughs> to talk about here. I had no idea that you were going to talk about. Jared. Bush and again another player that to be quite frank I haven't haven't thought about in a while. Nebels, what comes to mind when you think of Jared Bush outside of that interception? Oh man, it's that's another one. I haven't thought about Jared Bush in a while. I mean, I I just remember that uh Jared Bush, he'd be the t- he'd be the guy that my dad was always cursing one way or another. <laughs> kind of like what you said, Andy, you know, yep. not necessarily you know remember for the good stuff, but yeah, he was always oh boy, you know, Bush and Bush this, Bush that. So uh, it, it, that's just that's what that's what will always stick out to me when it, when I think about Jared Bush. It's just he's just one of those guys that kind of got you know maybe a bad rap, but yeah, everybody was was cursing him all the time, specifically my father. <laughs> so and to uh, on top of it, to intercept a pass in the Super Bowl. When you say like a year later, I you know, and this could be my Pollyanna side of, of being a Green Bay Packers fan. Uh, that 2009 season, I've gone back and watched highlights. There was something that was clicking in that 2009 season, and I, you know, I wonder with you know the the strip sack fumble of uh, of Aaron Rodgers, what happens in that game? What happens if they move forward? But that three year stretch, 2009, 2010, 2011. Uh, with some beautiful football, and I'm glad that you highlighted some memories, specifically Jared Bush, too. I'm I'm kind of dumbfounded. <laughs> I, I was not expecting that. I love it. But with that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with the second half of Andy Herman on tap. Go Pack Go! This episode is brought to you by Sonic Transformation. Here at Sonic Transformation, we believe that every good audio project starts with a good foundation. We want to help you build that foundation. Whether it be through commercial products or things you have around the house, no job is too big or small. We can make your podcast sound the best it can with what you have and a little nudging along the way. No equipment? No problem. Our consultants can help you get set up on your budget and in your space. 
Do you already have an established podcast, but don't have the time to edit or just wish it sounded better? We can take care of that for you as well. Check us out at www.sonictransformation.com. Again, that's www.sonictransformation.com. Sonic Transformation, your sound refined. And we are back with the second half of Andy Herman on tap. And I'm going to I'm gonna pull a fast one on you, Andy. We've got a couple questions uh, in relation to uh, the articles that you've written for Packer Report. But I, I, if you don't mind, could you tell me how that all came into fruition? I know the connection with Ross Uglum, and I know what you've done and been, you know, an, an aspiring role model for a lot of us, inspiring for, for me specifically. But how did that transition occur from you know, creating Pack-A-Day podcast to where it is now and to now being a credentialed writer for Packer Report. Yeah, um, it, it's difficult to know even where to kind of start with all of it. And I'll be totally honest, uh, a lot of my interactions on Twitter and gaining a following on Twitter is really what opened so many avenues for me. I was doing a lot of what I'm doing, a lot of the same article writing. I want to say maybe 10 years ago, even grading uh, some of the plays and things like that. And I had my own uh, website, scanysports.com. And that's why I had the initial handle of Scani Sports. And I think probably about three or four people uh, read my work at the time. Um, (laughs) Not not, uh, exaggerating. And actually, I might be exaggerating. It might have been less than that. (laughs) And, you know, it was it just went from, you know, doing that. And then I actually took some time off and I did I did a couple of the scouting schools, NFL uh, or National Football Post had one as well as Sports Management Online at the time had one. So I did both of those um, and I really kind of wanted to get into something football related. I was thinking it was going to be scouting, but scouting really never made uh, a ton of sense for a couple different reasons. But when I kind of got out of that, I, I started wanting to write a little bit more. I did some writing for Titletown Sound Off and unbeknownst or to me, what was one of the smartest moves of mine at the time when I was at Titletown Sound Off, there was this crazy, there was a game that Aaron Rodgers threw like five or six touchdowns for. He had an awesome game and Pro Football Focus gave him an awful grade for the game. And it was this huge talked about like Rodgers had this amazing five or six touchdown game. He was on fire and Pro Football Focus graded him in the negatives when they used to not grade like 80, 90, 100. It used to be like negative or positive, neutral, things like that when they first started and they had a negative grade on him. So I had reached out to Cheesehead TV at the time, Jersey Al, and I said, hey, I would like to grade the game on my own and see how it goes and compare it to pro football focuses and see if they were right, if they were wrong. And I'd like to do this as kind of a guest spot. And uh, Jersey Al was, you know, he's like, yeah, let's go, let's do it. Um, So I did one guest spot for them. And uh, it was a, it was a fun article and the the article didn't necessarily matter so much as um, it opened the door. I want to say maybe like a year later when they were hiring um, that I had made that connection and I had already wrote an article for them. So it okay. opened up the opportunity to write for Cheesehead TV, um, which then when I uh, went there, I realized I kind of wanted to go all in and I really did it kind of in more advanced analytics. I started doing the grading the pack um, series every mm-hmm. single week and, and diving into the tape more. 
And with that, it allowed me to make some connections with some radio people, with some TV people, and doing all of that. And then that kind of opened the door where I started the podcast. And then I got to kind of know Ross uh, through a little bit through She Said TV, but even more so through the Pack-A-Day podcast. Okay. Um, Ross got the opportunity to be the, uh, you know, the, the lead for Packer Report, uh, kind of the main guy. Uh, the publisher, I guess. And uh, he asked me to come along and be his editor, um, which would uh, involve being a, a credentialed writer for them as well. And uh, yeah, that's that's the a really kind of long uh, story of, of how kind of everything happened. That is wild. I, and I mean, I remember, you know, still vividly when you, you know, switched your Twitter handle from Scotty Sports <laughs> to Andy Herman NFL, that signaled for me like, okay, all right, there's some big <laughs> changes happening. And then to see you land with Packer Report and and to get credentialed too, because you know I followed you. I mean, I've been following you a lot for the last three years now, ever since I got on Twitter. But your training camp, just some of the things that you would highlight, it's exciting to see you do that for Packer Report. So I, I it, it really does uh, mean a lot for you to jump on the podcast. And uh, what you've done is I- inspiring for me. It, it makes me uh, want to pursue things even more so. Uh, so from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for allowing us to be a part of that journey because it's been really cool to see and I can't wait to see what what happens. And with that... No, thank you. Yeah, you bet, Andy. And with that, um, I figure... Um, I, I, I won't... We won't unveil the bombshell real quick, but now that you're a credentialed writer with Packer Report, what was the... And you were involved with the press conference and um, I know you were the one that forgot to mute their phone. <laughs> and so <laughs> um, what was the biggest takeaway during uh, Aaron Rodgers' presser? I know you, you know, you tweeted out a lot and really gave us a, a, you know, a visual, but what was probably the biggest takeaway? You know, for, for me, there wasn't a, a specific moment. Um, there wasn't a specific quote. There wasn't anything specific about the press conference. I, I think everything that Aaron said in his press conference was, was fairly predictable for the most part. He was going to kind of compliment his own guys, compliment Jordan, you know, let, you know, kind of make mention of the fact that this isn't Jordan's fault. He didn't ask to be drafted in this right, situation, yeah. you know, still very respectful of Brian Gutekunst and what Brian did in the draft. Like, I, I think everything was, was kind of as I expected with, with also him, um, you know, being honest to the fact that, you know, the pick took him a little bit by surprise and that, you know, some things are going to be out of his control going forward. And all he's going to do is try to control what he can control. But the, the thing that struck me was, and I tweeted this after, to me, it was just a masterclass in how to handle a situation like that. And Green Bay will remember, obviously very vividly, that the last situation that this came up, you know, Brett probably, and he would be the first to tell you, and he has recently said, you know, he, he did not handle that situation the best way. And you know, this was Aaron's first opportunity publicly to kind of address some of that situation. And I personally, I just don't think he could have possibly handled himself any better. You know, he was open, he was honest, he was transparent, he was positive, he was positive in everything that he said. And I just thought that, you know, as I was sitting there listening, not even necessarily as an analyst or a fan, but just listening to him answer the questions uh, as he did, to me, it was it was amazing. You know, I thought he did a phenomenal job with every single question. And y- you could tell, like, Aaron, Aaron is very calculated in his responses. Yeah. You know, he, he, he knows that if he says one thing just with a different tone, it just leaves out a word. It, it can teeter the the difference between it being a positive and a negative response, whether it ends up on pro football talk, what, you know, <laughs> however, you know, so he, but I thought that, you know, 
while I'm sure he he thought through some of those answers, and while I'm sure he was still calculated in some of his answers, it also came across as very real and very organic and very transparent. And I, I was very appreciative and just kind of awed by his his overall interaction with with the media. I'm glad that you mentioned you know that as a takeaway. And the thing that you know every everyone will have you know their own form of haters or people that dog you along the way. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers has had his and he's been in the public eye. And, you know, you've had some people that have said that, you know, this is an act or everything that you see right now is an act. And the interview for me, like you said, where you got to see him be genuine and be honest, but thoughtful, um, compassionate, and also human, you know, talking about the fact of the pick taking him by surprise and, you know, controlling the, you know, the controllables and what he can do and wants to play in Green Bay, but doesn't really know what that all entails. And, you know, that's got to be pretty heartbreaking for an individual like Aaron Rodgers, who's been drafted and who's gone through to now be asked that question and then also have the opportunity also have that mindset of this is going to be scrutinized and picked apart. Yeah, I how anyone can say that what he does is an act and, um, you know, they're the, the usual suspects. But Perry Goldstein had a tweet out that said how wonder you know, I'm paraphrasing, but how wonderful Aaron Rodgers was and how he responded. And for me, it's a lesson on how I can be more thoughtful and how I can articulate things and how I can respond to things. And I'm glad that you mentioned that. And, and with that, I personally um, loved the Packer Report article why an Aaron Rodgers trade could come sooner than you think. Before I ask you, Nebels, when you saw that article, uh, what came to mind? Oh, well, you know, when I first saw it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, it's one of those articles um, that it's kind of like, oh, boy, you know, what's uh, what's all this talk now? You know, everybody had been talking about, oh, Rodgers is going to be gone, you know, here, there, whatever. And then when I dove into the article, it's like, all right, well, this actually makes a lot of sense. I think you did go in and, and explain it in a way that, that makes it unfortunately logical. You know what I mean? As a fan, it's like, well, this sucks, but I can totally see it happening like this now. And it, it's just it was just one of those things. It's just a, it's just an eye opener that, again, I've talked about it on a couple episodes that that uh, Aaron's window is getting smaller and smaller. And that team that I grew up watching is is slowly diminishing and this just kind of made it all more, all more real. I mean, you realize it is a business, and tough decisions need to be made. And you know, how you put it, it, it makes sense to move on. Uh, I still don't want to see it happen, but if it does, I would completely understand it. And with that, you know, it's not even like the realization that his window is closing. It's, it's all right. You know, this the end of the era. Now it's coming to a realization that it will happen. And right, you you start off the the article where it says. When will the Packers move on? And I'd li- I'd like to know more if you could expand on the article. I've written it, uh, or I've written it. I read it several times, and <laughs> uh, trying to take credit. And um, <laughs> but uh, what was the thought process? I know you know us following you. I know how much of a hardcore fan you are, and I know how you know much you appreciate what role you're in. But was it? you know, tossing and turning, or was it one of those things where you're like, I need to write this article, this will be cathartic for me? I'm really curious what that initial process was. Yeah, you bet. So before I jump into that, Nebels, I'll go back to your kind of statement. And one of my favorite comments that anyone had uh, is like, they said something to the effect of like, 
this was a really good, this was a really great article. I hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I totally felt it. And I totally appreciate it. It It's honestly one of my favorite comments, but um, to kind of go back to how it came about. So when, when they drafted Jordan Love, it did not necessarily come as a surprise to me. Um, it, it was definitely with it to me with very much within the realm of possibility. In fact, I tweeted out a few days before there were three players that I kind of narrowed it down to. Um, yeah. It was um, Austin Jackson, Jordan Love, and Ezra Cleveland. Um, of course, Cleveland went uh, around later to Minnesota. Austin Jackson was gone at that point. So when they were on the clock, the, the two people that I legitimately thought they'd be interested in were Ezra Cleveland and, and Jordan Love. And when they moved up, but you know, uh, the, the reason that it came about was more because I, the, the hardest thing that I, I, I struggled with, with a pick wasn't necessarily moving up. It wasn't the player. It wasn't where they selected him. It wasn't the philosophy. It was trying to figure out when this makes sense to, to make it all work and, and make it all come together. And uh, to an extent, you could make the argument that, you know, the pick was made without necessarily even that in mind, that you just simply grab the best player that's on the board and it's at an insanely important position and arguably the most important position of all of sports. And that's why they made the pick and and we'll figure out the rest later. But, you know, my my analytical mind kind of gets going of saying, all right, like, when logically does this make sense? Because, you know, I think we can very easily say uh, without any controversy, that the pick of Jordan Love does nothing to help Aaron Rodgers' window as far as winning a Super Bowl. Um, it, it does very little to help that. I mean, you could make an argument that maybe if he goes out for five games and Love's able to hold down the ship and go three and two in that stretch and you know keep them in a playoff race or something like that, um, sure, you know maybe it could help a little bit. But for the most part, this this pick was not made with the intention of of helping Aaron Rodgers win a Super Bowl during his window. Um, so then the, the next question becomes, all right, so when does that, that Jordan Love window open? And the longer that you keep you know, Aaron Rodgers along, it actually kind of hurts Jordan Love's window because one, he's not playing. Two, you're missing out on those really cheap contract years where he's making you know, two, three, four million, um, not making anything. And if he's a good starting quarterback, it doesn't have to be great, but if you can be a good starting quarterback making two, three, or four million, you, know, you can surround him with immense talent because you're not paying 35 million to a quarterback like almost the rest of the NFL is. So by keeping Aaron Rodgers, you're losing out on all of that time. So the the thing that got me started thinking, um, and before I didn't have an article in mind, I was just literally thinking, you know, when when does this possibly make sense? And I was I was going through Aaron Rodgers' contract and things like that. The, the one that stood out to me was that if they traded him in early next year, and I'm not going to go into the extreme minutia because it's just too boring, but um, <laughs> if, if they trade him very early next year, yes, they take a 31 plus million dollar cap hit next year, but they actually save cap dollars next year. So this idea right. that they would cut him or trade him next year and they, they just couldn't do it because financially it would be too much of a burden and you know so on and so forth. It's actually not true. They actually save money. Now, it's still a huge poison pill to swallow, if you will, that they they would take on this cap hit. But the reason that it works, the reason that it potentially makes some sense, is because then in uh, Jordan Love's fourth, or excuse me, his third year and fourth year, he's making only around three million dollars per season. You're not paying Aaron Rodgers a dime, yeah. and you open up that window to surround him with an immense amount of talent. So the 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 article wasn't because I needed to write an article, or that it was you know I was um, you know wanting to write an article of when this transition could take place. It was just that when I looked at 
a window that would potentially make sense for the Packers from a just a pure GM standpoint, that was the one to me that stood out of like, oh, if he's good, that makes it if, if, in why he, I mean, Jordan Love, of course, if he's yep, good, right. that could make a ton of sense. Do you think that thought process came into mind when they made that selection? <sighs> That's tough to say. I, I don't think so. I honestly, I, I do believe that this is a general manager that came from the the Ron Wolf and the, yep. the Ted Thompson tree of thinking. And this is a this is a group that that sticks to their board almost no matter what. And I have a feeling, I think you can tell a very easy story here, right? So you look at, you know, who I think they would have been interested in. Um, we all we, we all talked about beforehand the the top four wide receivers in this draft. Um, I think that we you know we all talked about the top four offensive tackles and the the dream situation would have been that maybe one of those four offensive tackles or four wide receivers would have fallen to Green Bay. Well, not only were the four wide or four offensive tackles gone, but so was Austin Jackson, tackle number five. Not only were the top four wide receivers gone, but so was Brandon Ayuk and so so was Jalen Rager. The top six wide receivers were gone at that point. If they were going to draft a defensive lineman, it would have been one of the top two. Um, both Eric Brown and Javon Kinlaw were gone at that point. Um, I think there were three corners that they would have considered. All were gone at that point. And then, you know, you, you just start looking at, you know, this is a team that drafts, you know, premium players at premium positions right. and with their first pick over and over and over and over again. And to me, that's why I go back to when, when they were on the clock, when they were moving up, I, I think there was probably, you know, maybe two players and, and who knows how they viewed Ezra Cleveland. And, and one of the things about Ezra Cleveland is he's a left tackle. And if your goal is to keep David Bakhtiari around, you know, he, you know, then you have a question mark there as well. So, right. you know, I, I just think when, when they're on the clock, I think the easy story to tell is that they had one highly rated player left on their board when they're picking that once Brandon Ayuk went 25 to the 49ers mm. and as soon as Ayuk was gone that trade was done where they moved up to 26 uh, to go up and make that selection I fully believe that that there was nobody else on their board at any position that garnered a high first round or like probably a top 15 20 pick grade on their board and because of that, they they didn't want to wait around and have to you know pick somebody with a second round grade or try to move back with the cost of a late fourth round pick, basically almost a fifth round pick. I think they just you know said you know what we're going to go up, get our one last you know top fifteen twenty pick in this draft that's still out there that's still available, and we'll figure out the rest later. Yeah, he seems like to that's his like his you know his side cash the fourth round draft pick. He just seems to always seem to flip that. Yeah, and interesting. To th- I I was convinced that the Packers were going to trade out of thirty. Uh, just looking at a lot of that second round talent. Now you're feeling that if Love wasn't there, then that probably was more of the scenario. Then now that you've laid out all these guys that in that top five, top six in each position, probably looking at trading back. I know it's a big hypothetical. I would be shocked if they, if, if Jordan Love, if they would have stayed at what, 20, 30, um, yep. 29, 30, wherever they were. Um, if they would have stayed there and, and Jordan Love was gone, I would be shocked if they didn't move back. I don't, I just don't think that they had, to me, it screamed of like, hey, there's the, the one last first round grade we have on our board. Let's use a fourth round pick to go get him rather than having to move back and take a guy that's, you know, we think is a early to mid second round type player. And they seemed ecstatic. Too. I mean, why wouldn't you be? You just, you know, made a first round draft pick and you're you're excited to uh, select Jordan Love. But, you know, looking back at, you know, the highlight reel of Gutekunst and Lafleur, they were over the moon. They were ecstatic. They did not believe that he was even going to be there. And, 
you know, I talked about in a couple episodes where if Belichick, you know, lands Jordan Love at 23, I believe, you know, it's a totally different narrative that we're talking about. Belichick gets his next guy. But of course, Jordan Love goes to the Green Bay Packers and we just gave Aaron Rodgers a contract extension in 2018. So of course, that pick's going to be highly polarizing. Any Anything that you want to share um, for our listeners regarding uh, your infamous Packer Report article? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the main thing. I think if you just look at all of the, the potential benefits that I laid out, and for anyone that didn't read it, I basically made three contingencies here. One is that you know, Jordan Love shows promise in year one and shows that he is the 2018 version of Jordan Love and that he's ready to play. You know, he doesn't, like I said, he doesn't have to show that he's great. He doesn't have to show that he's better than Aaron Rodgers. But if he shows that he's at least good to really good, um, I think that's, you know, caveat number one. Number two is that Rodgers basically has to remain the same if he, you know, if he regresses or has a major injury and doesn't have any trade value. I think they could just say, hey, let's, let's keep him around, see if he bounces back and see if we can get some trade value for him later on. Um, you know, something like that. Um, and if he's really great, if he's MVP caliber, 60 touchdown, four interception, you know, Aaron Rodgers, and they're competing for a Super Bowl or winning a Super Bowl, I think you probably try to run it back and say, hey, let's try to do this again. Um, so he kind of has to say the same. And then the other caveat is that they have to, um, you know, find a trade partner that's really willing to kind of blow their socks off as well. But if those right. three things are are true, if they do end up being the case, then again, the fact that you would save a, a ton of salary during Jordan Love's cheap years, um, you know, in the, his third and fourth year of his contract. And then really his fifth year, he'd still be on um, the fifth year option, which is relatively cheap compared to most quarterbacks. So you'd open up a three-year window there. You could potentially get premium picks back for Aaron Rodgers. And if you look at when the best time to trade Aaron Rodgers would be, it's 2021. A team would get a really solid, basically three-year, um, less than $75 million deal where they're paying him less than 25 mil, which is just what Brady got per season at age yeah. 23 and 24. Um, you know, Brady got 100% of his contract guaranteed. Rodgers mm-hmm. would have only like $6 million guaranteed uh, for the team that would be trading for him in this, you know, situation. So they'd get a tremendous deal when Rodgers is only 37, 38, and 39. And then you you have to kind of look as well as, as what's potentially best for Jordan Love. If, if kind of year three is your, your target of when you think, you know, it's going to take him a couple years to kind of fix, well, having him sit behind Aaron Rodgers for a year and learn everything from him, then have him play for a year where there's not quite as much pressure because you're still paying 30 some million for a guy that's not on your team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that window is not quite open yet. So you, he kind of has a year where there's going to be pressure because he's taking after Favre than Rogers to now Jordan Love. So there's going to be pressure, but not quite as much in that very first year, again, because you're taking on a ton of dead cap. And then finally, so he gets to play for that year though. And then having the season where he's got basically three years to kind of go out and really prove himself in Matt LaFleur's offense. Like that's how everything came together to me where it's like, it makes sense from a salary cap standpoint. It makes sense from a trade standpoint. It makes sense from a Jordan Love standpoint, but it would just have to really make sure that again, those three conditions are really true. Yeah. And Jordan Love is that type of player that they all believe in too. And, you know, this could be a moot point. I hope it's not because I, I, I want to get excited about Jordan Love. I want to see him blow up. I want to see him make it interesting. I mean, it's painful for me to even think about it as Aaron Rodgers is my you know favorite current player and probably will go down as my all-time favorite player. But like you had mentioned at the beginning of the episode, when you get more into analyzing the team, and I've obviously not at you know any sort of comparison to what you do, but the more that Nebels and I you know research and do podcasts, there's more emotion that gets removed from it. And I kind of miss 
uh, that reckless abandonment of a fan that I used to be. And now I've been way more cautious. And a good friend of ours, uh, Ken Ingalls, you know, he was also another person that really believed in that the the trade of Rogers. And he said too that he misses the fact of before he became, uh, you know, known on Twitter as a salary cap guru. He misses the fact of that reckless abandonment where he didn't even think about the salary cap and he could just be carefree. So there is that, you know, that double-edged sword of um, getting too attached and doing a lot of research and you start to, at least for me, not become numb, but you just look at it from a business point and a more holistic approach. And um, I can't even believe seeing trade and Rogers in the same uh, sentence, let alone highlighting it on an episode. But the article I thought was great. It, it painted a lot of great opportunities um, and scenarios moving forward. And um, the most recent article I think that you just released uh, was how COVID affects the roster. And the uh, it was a terrifying article, and <laughs> you um, to put it bluntly. The, <laughs> and the one thing that really caught my eye was um, Kenny Clark. And I know, and you mentioned it in, in your article, is that you know a deal should be done by now. I'm curious, do you? What are the reasons why Kenny? I mean, obviously, salary cap is a big reason, but he is going to get paid. But why do you think a deal hasn't been done yet? Yeah, so I think a couple things really went against Kenny in this regard. So. I think they were very hesitant to sign him to a contract prior to the CBA being done um, because of some of the potential uh, things that would have happened if a, if a CBA did not get completed on time. And then you had some really interesting cap gymnastics that the Packers and a lot of other teams would have had to go through. Um, so I think the Packers were really waiting until that got resolved and the CBA was signed to enter into those negotiations. And um, as Ken uh, Ingles, as you mentioned, was was really great at pointing out, you know, there was certain limits to how you could structure contracts when there was no CBA. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, again, I think it, w- it made a ton of sense to wait until that CBA was signed. Well, kind of as soon as that CBA was signed, well, now there's all of the COVID stuff going on. Right. And I think now there's that fear of like, is next year going to have this really decreased salary cap. And there's just so many questions like, is this season even going to get played? Um, you know, so I don't think that, you know, anyone has a great idea of how, you know, the salary cap and, and the season and all of those things are going to go. So from a, a Packers standpoint, and even from a Kenny Clark, uh, you know, and his agent standpoint, it's tough to really, you know, try to negotiate in this atmosphere when no one has an, any idea of what the heck's going to happen next. So I just think he got really stuck in a situation where, it didn't make sense to negotiate pre-CBA and it didn't make sense to negotiate post-COVID, which left like probably a couple of weeks in between where they would have had to get things done. And it obviously just didn't happen during that time. So I, I would be shocked if, you know, Kenny Clark ended up playing somewhere other than Green Bay. Um, I think they'll figure out something, whether it's a transition tag, a franchise tag, yeah. a long-term contract, something, but it's you know, I, the only the only thing that gets interesting is you can have the exact same conversation about David Bakhtiari, and now if you have two of those, well, you can't franchise both of them going into right. next season. So um, that's the only you know somewhat concern that you would have. But I, I just have a feeling that they're going to figure out a way to get the deals done with Bakhtiari and Clark, but it affects them nonetheless. You think both? You think both of them will be resigned? Yes, I do. Yeah, I think. Uh, can, I mean, those definitely are priority number one, num- number two, and then. You're thinking Aaron Jones then probably is the odd man out moving into next year? Yeah. You know, something something tells me that they, they're going to get something done with Aaron Jones. I think that I think Jones, Bakhtiari, 
and Clark will be the three that they bring back. And I think Kevin King and Corey Lindsley will be the two that are, are kind of the odd man, you know, odd man out. Um, I think it definitely gets more complicated if Kevin King goes out and has just an insane year. Um, I think that would definitely, you know, change some, you know, some perspective on things. And maybe they would try to find a way to either get a fourth contract done or maybe they, you know, swap out Jones for King. Um, same thing with A.J. Dillon. You know, if A.J. Dillon and Kevin King are both amazing, you know, yeah, then maybe they they use that Aaron Jones money on King. But, uh, you know, I just think Jones and Dillon potentially pair together, you know, ridiculously well. Yeah. And I, I just think that that would that would potentially extend uh, the length of Jones's uh, availability and his usefulness because you're not giving him, you know, 25, 30 carries a game. And it's not like he has a ton of wear and tear on him already. So um, I think, you know, by drafting Dylan, you give him a perfect compliment and you take away some of those carries to eliminate some of that wear and tear. I just think it fits. And I think they want to get something done. Um, I'm definitely somebody who's on the team of, you know, don't pay running backs big money, but if they can find a number that makes a lot of sense, you know, I, I think it could make sense for both sides. I like that thinking too of uh, longevity speaking and, you know, being able to utilize Aaron Jones in more creative ways and and uh, keep his legs fresher. Uh, so you think they'll they'll finally use a franchise tag then? Say if everything works out and they have a season but is is uh, 2021 the year where they finally use the franchise tag? You know, it could be just because of the situation and scenario that they're in. If they have to, you know, let a couple of these guys go into play the final year of their deal without having something set in stone because of the the questions about you know uh, COVID and, and the salary cap and things like that, I could see it happening. But uh, I'm sure they, I'm sure both sides would love to have deals done prior to that. Well, there you have it. Well, thank you so much, Andy, uh, for coming on and talking Unknown Packers podcast. I've got. A pop quiz question for you, but before um, I release that to you, um, can you tell all our listeners where they can find you? I mean, I'm pretty, pretty sure, but just in case there's that one person that's been living under a rock for this whole entire time, where can they find you uh, throughout social media? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Um, and then you guys kind of uh, did a great job of laying out where you can find all my work. So that's perfect. I appreciate it. You bet. Well, thank you again for uh, coming on for the guest episodes. Uh, I figured we, we've we had several Pack-A-Day podcast, podcasters on here. We figured we get the Godfather in here. So I appreciate <laughs> your correspondence coming on and just um, your articulate perspective. And I've got two pop quiz questions for you, Andy. All and right. uh, the first one is, um, I know you're a candy man and I am too. What are your three top kinds of candy? And that can be candy bar too. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go candy bar on this one. I love Butterfingers, uh, whatchamacallits. Nice. And number three, um, I'm going to cheat on this one a little bit. Number three is going to be a Snickers bar, but it's an ice cream Snickers, which is uh, far, far superior to the regular Snickers. I would yeah. agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> Nebel's creeping in the background. That's I love right. It. I know my candy. <laughs> oh, man, I, I love it. Now for the actual pop quiz question that all of our guest episodes, you're the only person that's gotten two guest or uh, two guest episode pop quiz questions. But, you know, I, like I said, I've been following you. Uh, I know that uh, you've got some interesting food uh, eating habits. Um, there are some things of food that you're not really a big fan of, but the candy is really what uh, caught my eye on and... Uh, I have a sweet tooth, but so whatchamacallit, Snickers ice cream, and then Butterfinger. I love that. And with the pop quiz question, with COVID going on and coronavirus, you're really getting to see um, 
politics in play and you're really getting to see um, people and um, what they're embracing and what their priorities are. Now, if Andy Herman became president and he was the ruler of this great nation, what is one ruler law? What would be that first step of action being ruler of the United States of America? Holy cow, that is a difficult question to answer. Um, They all are. They all are, my friend. If I had to make one rule for those or law, I'm trying to think of something witty or creative and uh, I got nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Holy cow. Um, Kind of thing. So for me, it would be like airline miles, like every (laughs) U.S. citizen paying taxes would get some sort of kickback on like airline miles where they could use it to fly. Okay, here, here's mine. Here's my very first rule <laughs> as, as president of the United States. Uh, it's that the NBA has to fix their stupid salary cap rules where there's like no maximum amount and it cre- ends up creating these super teams and everything like that. So uh, the NBA has to fix their salary cap effective immediately because it's stupid. That's my first rule as president <laughs> nice. of the United States. So not universal health care, not, uh, what is it, uh, banning assault rifles. It is the NBA season salary cap of, uh, you, you would demolish that. You would, like yeah. you would actually implement it and make sure that you could not form super teams. In the, uh, in the interest of not uh, having one side or the other hate me after this podcast, I'm going to go with, uh, you know, I could change a letter and go with something NRA instead of NBA related, oh, but I'm, oh, nice. I'm, I'm going I'm to stick to NBA on this one. <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you Good so thinking. much, Andy. And just so you know, uh, all the pop quiz questions, uh, everyone that's answered, they all are almost flabbergasted. And that's the whole point is to really just, I don't know, keep you on your toes a little bit. I thought you answered it well. <laughs> Um, I figured it was going to be sports related, but uh, once again, Andy, thank you uh, for taking time out of your uh, day to record with us. Really means a lot. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And there you have it. Andy Herman on tap. Thanks, Andy. I am your host, Bryce Christensen. And I'm Nebels. And this is the Unknown Packers Podcast. Thank you so much for following the Unknown Packers podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Unknown Packers, as well as Facebook, Instagram, the Unknown Packers podcast. You can check us out on our website, theunknownpackers.com, and a variety of different podcast platforms as well. You can also say, hey, Alexa, play the Unknown Packers podcast. That's right. We're friends with Alexa. Go Pack Go. This podcast was edited and produced by Sonic Transformation. Sonic Transformation. Your sound, refined.